Oh yeah, it's all about Him. Are you, guys, you guys are not smiling and thinking it's all about Him. Uh, it is all about Him. And I pray today, uh, as we begin, that we are returning to the heart of worship. That when we gather together, it is about worshiping Jesus Christ. Uh, when we go out of here today, that it is about fulfilling the mission of Christ uh, when you wake up tomorrow morning, that you awake and, and, and worship Christ in, in, in your arising, as you wake in the morning, as you do life, always thinking about God. As we begin today, I just want to ask if, if I were to ask you to cite the Ten Commandments, uh, could you say all ten of them? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. You can if you want to. I... Uh, if I asked Marissa to, she would come up here and she would preach the Ten Commandments to you. Uh, Marissa loves Moses. Uh, she loves, that's her favorite biblical story, uh, biblical character, and uh, loves all of that. And her, her favorite of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. And, and she uses that on her, her sisters all the time. Are you honoring your father and your mother? And on the inside, I'm like, lay it on them, lay it on them, Marissa. You know, and then sometimes like, it's a little hard. Use some grace in there, use some grace. Um, but you know, we, if you were asked that, a lot of times you're caught off guard. It's kind of like, can you name the 12 disciples? You're like, ah, uh, you kind of work your way through it. Name the Ten Commandments, and you're trying to work your way through it. You'll, you kind of say, well, do not kill, uh, do not steal, uh, do not commit adultery, and you work your way through those. Um, but there's two commands that are often forgotten. And those two commands are the very first two commands, and they set the tone for everything. They set the tone for our relationship with God. They set the tone for how we're going to live as Christians in response to God, how we live out our faith. Those two are this. I don't have them on the screen because you have them memorized. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. The reason God is saying that is he is the one true God. There's no reason to go after the other gods. What can they really, what can they really offer you? What can they really do to help you? And the second one to that helps us as well. It is you shall not make for yourself carved images. Um, the reason he says that is because you don't make an image because God is spirit. You don't make a carving and bow yourself to that. The funniest thing in the world, and, and, and Elijah makes fun of these things and the false gods because their idols can't speak. What can they really do? They can't get up and walk. They can't move around. But people create idols. And the false gods of the Amorites and all the ites that Mary was reading about today um, were things that the Israelites ended up bowing to. But you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am jealous of you. I am a jealous God because I love you. There's a proper jealous jealousy visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me there are people who love God and there are people that hate God but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and my commandments um, worship me first have no other gods now you've heard me talk about how the scriptures are reminders because we are a forgetful people. Uh, we must be reminded about things. And one of the things I like to do is remind people of the gospel 
What is salvation? What are we really doing? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? As we go through the Scriptures, we're learning and, and being reminded of who God is and how we're to live as Christians. Um, but we need to internalize the story of God. You should be able to sit down with a friend and kind of walk through uh, the narrative, the biblical narrative of how God has moved in the world. Uh, the first thing that you see in the book of Genesis is that there is God and He creates all things. The heavens and the earth. All animals. Human life. Adam and Eve. He gives them a command. Do not sin. Do not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They, eat, they disobey God. It breaks that relationship. Sin comes into the world. We call this, there's creation, and then there is the fall. Sin spreads throughout the world. There is murder. There is killing. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, God is going to flood the entire earth. Yesterday, we are at Walmart on the west side, and we're coming out, and here it is, the end of Pride Month. <laughs> out of all things that you want to celebrate, pride, you know, um, pride comes before the fall. And here it is, it's, it's July, and I looked up, and there's this huge rainbow. And I was just thinking, it's not about pride, it's about the promises of God, isn't it? And it was a rainbow that had more spectrums in it. I was like, that's unusual, you know, I thought that was really cool. But that is a reminder, it's not pride ever. It is always the promise of God that he would not flood the earth again. He flooded the earth of all the wicked. Every imagination in their heart and their mind was evil, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And so we have the flood. After the flood, uh, the people are dispersed again, and by the time you come to Genesis chapter 11, they have all united in man's name on the Nimrod. And they're building what we call the Tower of Babel. And they said, let's make a great name for ourselves. And God comes down and separates them by their languages. They disperse, and we have the beginning of nations. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God starts over with a man named Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you this promised seed. I'm going to give you this promised blessing. You're going to be great, a father of many nations. And God brings forth the seed through Abraham. A nation is born out of Abraham. And of course, as the, the people are growing, they, over time they work their way down into Egypt and continue to multiply. Just millions of Hebrew people are in slavery, and they're crying out to God. And God sends them a deliverer. He sends them Moses to speak on his behalf, and God delivers the people out of slavery. Praise God, right? You're reading this, you're like, you're excited for the people of God. They, they exit it is the exodus, but they go into the wilderness and they begin to complain. God is going to give them a promised land, a promised land, and they're going to take the land, but there's a generation of unfaithful people not willing to go into the land. And then another generation comes and they take the land under the leadership of Joshua. You have the book of Joshua now, you know, after the first five books of Moses. They conquer the land. I love what Caleb says when you're reading through that. He says, you know that, that piece of land over there with the giants? Uh, because the people were afraid to take the land because of the giants in the land, all the fortresses. He says, I want that piece of land. I want to go to battle. So they begin to disperse and they settle the land and portions of land are giving out from the, the promised land to the people of Israel and each tribe in Israel. And they're settling the land. And then you have the book of Judges. 
And God had commanded the people, when you enter that land, do not worship the gods of the people in the land. And over time, and they were commanded to teach the children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, teach them daily. When you wake in the morning, when you go throughout life, teach them what I have commanded you. But it says in Judges that a generation came up that did not know God nor the miracles he did. Isn't that sad? And you enter into the time where God has to work through particular judges uh, to help the people because they began to worship other gods. They began to worship idols of the people in the land. They turned from God and bad things begin to happen. I mean, you can kind of see a mirror. I recommend reading the book of Judges. You think things are bad, they can always get worse. And the book of Judges depicts that. It is pretty bad. And you see this cycle happening of people turning from God and turning back. And things get so bad that there's a famine in the land when you come to Joshua chapter, uh, Judges chapter 6. But people began to do what was right in their own eyes, which was idolatry. Whatever they thought was right in their own heart, they began to worship these things and create idols for these things or worship the idols of the people in the land. They began to worship other gods and make idols. Now, when we talk about idolatry, what does that mean? What is an idol? Years ago, I came across a devotion book by Henry Blackaby. And he described it this way. I always thought it was odd as you looked out and saw and you're reading the Bible. What is, what is idolatry then? How does it apply to us today? And he says this, an idol is anything that diverts our devotion from God. Anything. That's a good, that's a good definition, isn't it? An idol in your life is anything that diverts your devotion from the one true God. He goes on to say, our society is just as idolatrous as it was then. Rather than worshiping statues, we choose possessions, pleasures, careers. Some of you, let's just be honest, at times in your life, your career was your God. And maybe that's something you're dealing with even right now, that your career could in fact be your God. Um, As our gods, and we pour out our time and finances and energy into these things. Uh, You can review your own life. I do not have to come to you and say, hey, this has become an idol to you. You can listen to the Word of God and hear the Spirit of Christ right now, and you can review your own life and say, yes, these things have become an idol in my life. But here it is, church. What we want to learn to do is though there is going to continually be idols that we have to war against, that we have to intercept idolatry. We have to recognize what is going on, the circumstances we are in. We have to listen to the words of Christ. We have to change our ways and cut down idols in our life that we may serve the one true God. And that's what I want to deal with today. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, looking at verses 7 through 10. Uh, Before we do, I want you to recite this after me. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. Amen. This is the Word of God. As we get into this, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We see what we need to do in our life. Now, as we're getting into Judges chapter 6, we're dealing with the judge Gideon. 
this fearful man who is the least in his house, God is going to use him. He is a coward. God is going to use this coward to do a mighty work to turn people back to the one true God. And this is what happens. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the people of the land there, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And He said to them this, and this is the thing, God sends prophets and people to speak the Word of God into our life. And we need to be willing to listen. God is going to place uh, men and women of Christ in your life to tell you the things that you need to do and maybe there's some things that are wrong. If you don't have someone like that, you need to have someone like that that is willing to tell you, hey, that's, not, that's right or that is wrong. And he says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. This is what God has done on your behalf. Now don't forget, they had forgotten some of this, but they still kind of know who God is in a general way. So when the prophet says this, it strikes a chord of history and how God has moved, and these things are factual. The prophet never came to them and said, you know what, you know those made-up stories that didn't really happen? They're saying this, it is truth, this is the way God has moved. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. A reminder there at the beginning. Will you obey the voice of God or the voice of the idols in our culture? Let's pray together today. God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love your grace, your patience with us. Lord, we thank you for the way you have been patient with your people in the past. And Lord, as we look at what has happened in the past, we, we can almost see a mirror of what is happening in the present. That people who knew of you have turned from you. And many people today are doing what is right in their own eyes rather than what you have commanded. And sadly, Lord, I say that it is also taking place in your church that people who knew you have turned from you and some have left the church and some are still in the church and are trying to worship the gods of this culture, the gods of self. But you call us back to you and remind us that you are this loving, forgiving, and gracious God and Lord, we pray today as the words go forward that we are convicted, that we recognize the circumstances that we are in, that we begin to listen to your voice, not the voice of the culture, not the gods of our time, and that we fully commit to you. And Lord, I pray that you give your people strength to say no to what pulls them from you, whatever it may be a simple distraction, more hours at work when they need more time with you. Um, maybe some today need to say less, uh, say no and spend less time in the entertainment, and movies and streaming shows, whatever it may be. And Lord, I pray all of us become a people that just fall in love again with you, that we worship you, the one true God, first and foremost. 
Lord, that we are living a sacrificial life, that we're willing to give up the things that our culture offers us because of the value of salvation. If the worth of who you are is so much greater. I pray you continue to move in our hearts, Lord, and help us to cut down the idols, that we destroy them, that we remove them, Lord, that we can lift up your name and the Lord Jesus Christ in our own heart and life, that we can demonstrate this power in our culture, that we are not so easily pulled away by the things of the world, that we are committed to the one true God and his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, the book of Judges records this ongoing cycle. I've talked about of sin and idolatry. It's actually a 335-year continual cycle historically. And as much as people would like to say that the Bible is outdated, um, isn't it amazing how people want to remove the Bible? In our culture, obviously, that has been happening, but even in the church, progressives and unbelieving ministers have come into the church, and this is not even part of what they learn. Jesus has never commanded us to go forth and just learn everything the culture has to say and have nothing to do with the Word of God. And, and here it is. People don't, don't want the Scriptures because it speaks to who we really are. I mean, you can pick up a newspaper and you can... And what it is is the Word of God is telling us what has already happened in the past. This has literally happened. And you look back and you're like, wow, this is how God has moved and this is what God has done. It speaks to us in the present. This is the way you're living. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to stop doing. It foretells the future. It says these are the things that are going to happen. In fact, if you reject me, God said, these are the things that are going to happen. It's bad. It's not good. But you see this cycle taking place here in our own culture, throughout history, and in the book of Judges. Now, when we read the Scriptures, we feel like God is speaking to our circumstances right now. I mean, when I'm reading this, I'm like, man, God is speaking to us right now in the present about these issues. And I, I could just, I don't even have to say, well, we're going, this is going on in the culture. I need to find a verse to go with that. I don't even have to do that. God can just lead me to some text, and here it is. It's going to speak vividly to you about what you're dealing with right now and what we're dealing with as a church. The primary issues Israel faced was this continual disobeying the first and second commandments. Once you disobey those, it just opens the door for everything else. That I am the one true God, you have no other gods before me. Do not make graven images. Do not go after idols because they destroy your life. I've never met anyone who believed in God and rejected Him, left the church, went into paganism and everything else, and their life got better. They'll, they might tell you things are better, but you find that they're drunk, they've been through several marriages, their life is getting worse, they're just, it's just a downward spiral. And the thing for us is when even if we recognize those things in our own life or seeing those in others, we need to cry out to God. God, look what's happening. We want you to move in our lives. And the primary issue Israel faced was this, this thing of rejecting God and, and taking the gods of the culture. And the gods of the culture are always this, sex and prosperity. When you follow the Hebrew people, they always gave up God for a God 
that provided them with um, perverted sex. They worshipped these idols through sexual perversion and orgies. It was a way of celebrating these gods that were, would provide fertility and bless the land and make them prosperous. But when they did this, what happened? Were they prosperous? They were unprosperous. Famines would happen, horrible things. They were here, they're so depressed, they're under the hand of the Midianites, and it's so bad that they're hiding in caves for crying out loud. And, and this is a deal. Would somebody bring me the hand mic up here? I don't know what's going on with this little thing. It's messed up today. If you bring me the hand mic, I'll use that. Um, Christians have gone into hiding. I was very surprised, though. I was prayerful. You know, I'm praying and I'm, um, I'm following Jesus Christ and hoping I had Christians and other friends in my life and said, you know, our goal is not really to see Roe v. Wade overturned. And I would say, you're crazy. We want it overturned. I don't want to see babies killed. But people became fearful of the gods of our land and how people would respond. They were afraid. Why are we so afraid if we have God on our side? If God is for me, who can be against me? This is what the world, you're unloving. No, this is love that God came into the world to save you from your sins. Every time I speak about human sexuality and abortion, they twist the things and make it sound like you're hurting people. No, killing a baby hurts people. And here we're seeing a radical transition on one side, open wickedness in our nation. And on the other end, 50 years of Roe v. Wade just got overturned. That is encouraging to me. And we can see more good happen, but we have to stop hiding in caves. We're afraid to get out and talk about Jesus. The worst thing in the world for a Christian to be called is unloving, right? They know that. You're unloving. Oh, really? Again, killing a baby is the most unloving thing you can do. And not following the plan of God. Now, you cannot impose all of this on people, the Christian believes. But you can tell them what you believe. And you can tell them why you believe it. And you can say, is our nation doing better or worse because of what has happened in the last 50 years? You can see it with your own eyes. We recognize it in our own life. When we begin to walk away from Christ, we begin to miss church, we begin to miss studying, we begin to miss our prayer life and all these things. And life does not get better when we do that. It gets worse. Now, time for the preaching. And the first thing I want you to see today is that we have to understand our circumstances. It says in verse 10 in, in Judges chapter 6, I, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You shall not worship them. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not do what they do. But you have disobeyed my voice. There comes a time in your life where you have to sit down and, and you're dealing with God and you're doing business with God and you have to work these things out. Have I been disobeying the word of God? Have I been disobeying his voice? Or have I been obedient to the voices of the culture and listening to them? And that's really what has radically happened in our culture. People are listening to the God of culture. 
And what they say is love, what they say is, is good, what they say is a high value, which is tolerance. Here it is. Churches, they say they want to be more accepting and more tolerant. And I want, to, I want you to know today this is what this really means. That you, and more inclusive. When a church becomes more inclusive, already a church should be inclusive because we are great commission and we believe in Jesus Christ. We're already inclusive. What they mean is that you include the doctrine of the world and exclude the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That you're tolerant to sin and intolerant of what God teaches. And so we recognize if God has spoken, are we being obedient? Are we listening to the words of the culture? Things have become so bad that the people here in the book of Judges, they cry out to God. And by the way, cry out to God. Lord, help our land. Lord, help our churches reclaim the Great Commission. Help our Christians start to read the Scripture again and to teach the Scripture and to pray and develop a, a, a devotion with Jesus Christ. They cried out to God, and he sends a prophet to tell them that they had rejected his ways. And they chose idolatry. They were in sin. We were in sin. And if we are in sin, we need a wake-up call. I've gotten where... I've looked back at the life of how God worked and in, in, in my calling and my returning to Christ. And a key turning point was somebody inviting me to church, one, teaching me the scriptures. And on the other hand, I had a family member who told me I was in sin. We're afraid to say that today. Oh, they're going to get mad. They're going to hang up. And my, my brother, my older brother, would call me up and say, Derek, you're going to hell. We're scared to death to talk about those things today. People need to know the circumstance is real. They, your life is messed up because you've turned from Jesus. You know better. You're in sin. Your destiny has just now changed. The direction you're going is hell, not into with the living Savior in eternity. We need someone in our life who's willing to interrupt and intercept when we're going down the wrong path. You need to be willing to say that is the wrong path. And you should be able to show them as well. Now, not, not everybody's going to listen. There's been many a people I stood on the cliff with them and said, look, this is what happens when you jump the cliff. You see all those people down there? It's not good. Boom, they still jump over. But we still stand on the cliff and try to rescue those who will listen. And that turn back to Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we stumble in many ways but the question is, are you happy where you are? Are you happy in the lifestyle you're living? If you're living for Jesus Christ, of course there's going to be joy and happiness. If you're living away from Jesus, then things are messed up. And my concern today is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. And I want you to know this is how it works. Every funeral I've ever preached, I'm driving home the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and those who believe in Jesus Christ are celebrating that that this person is risen, that they are in, in heaven with Christ, the people that don't believe, they do this. I want you to see. They don't want to hear it. I've literally looked in here at the family, and you can tell who, amen. They're excited, they're happy, and I look over and you can see people. They're trying to reject the message. They don't want to receive it. 
Because deep down inside, they know they have to deal with the reality that this thing is true. And if it is true, they have to have a lifestyle change. And the thing is, is that they think their lifestyle is better than knowing Jesus Christ. And he offers a better way for us. I've been serving as a pastor long enough to watch many who fell into a cycle of sin. But much like the Israelites uh, in, in the time of Judges, their life became worse. And there's this continual cycle. I've watched people come in the church and leave, come in the church and leave, that cycle. And then people that depart from the faith and how bad these things become. There, these circumstances, more often than not, the people in your lives, the loved ones, your family members, your friends, most of the time these problems are of their own making. And that's why the prophet had to come to tell them. Because they blame God. Gideon actually does that in, in Judges chapter 6. He says but you haven't taken care of us. The prophet had to say, no, 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 it's not about God not taking care of you. You rejected God. And he steps away. If you're willing to walk that way, he removes his blessing. The same thing in our own culture. People are rejecting God, going full head into sin, and they still want the blessings of God. This is what I wrestle with every year around July 4th. I love our country. I celebrate our independence. I love our history. But this is what will stir your heart and you'll get angry about this. Is that we sing God bless America. We just we killed 65 million babies. And in 2015, the SCOTUS ruled that it was okay for homosexuals to marry. And we are, we're singing God bless America when we need to say America needs to repent. And pray for God to move again. So tomorrow, celebrate. Have a good time. Go see fireworks. It is awesome. It scares our dogs to death. That's funny, too. Have a good old time. Some people are floating the river. All these things. Fireworks, goodies. We're going to eat up some s'mores. We're going to have a fun time. But remember that our nation needs Jesus Christ. And we celebrate our independence from a tyrannical government. And now our government is becoming very tyrannical. We don't want to say that. No, no, the conspiracy theory. No, no, no. Look at the evidence. So we need to pray for God to move. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, I don't know where all that came from. It's not here in my notes. Here it is. Gideon actually questions God and blames God. But they, again, are the ones who turned away from God. And God will, will not force you to love him and follow his ways. He calls you to follow him. And, and here's the thing. Look at your way. Whose way is working better, God's or your way? And we turn to him and we live the blessed life. God has given you free will. He honors free will. Temptations will come our way. But sin is a choice. Here's the thing. You cannot live like hell and expect to make it into heaven. Today, this is what we want. This is American Christianity. I want this God who gives me eternal life. He loves me. He doesn't judge me. No one can judge me. And I can continue to live the way I want to. That is the God of American Christianity. And we have to recognize those things, that we have to repent and turn to him. We expect heaven, but we're living like hell, and we need to repent as God's people. The Israelites chose to worship other gods, and God removes his blessing. And maybe you feel like that today. There's people where, I mean, I love that song years ago, uh, Carrie Underwood, where she's just going down the street and, and things get bad and the wheels slip and, and she just says, Jesus, take the wheel. And a lot of us, that is just a simple prayer that we need to pray. Lord, take the wheel again. 
Uh, lead me in your path. Take over these things. They're bad. It's not good. I don't like it. And I know I need to turn to you. So take over. I repent. Take the will of my life. Cry out to God. And thankfully, the Israelites did, and he heard them. The second thing I want you to see today, church, is that we need to listen to him. The Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Uh, it's temple worship. This is actually in Gideon's family's yard, his father's yard, a community perverted worship center. Um, there's an Asherah there and the Baal God, and one needs to be cut down. It's like a totem pole, and one is a statue. And he is telling them what we have to do is you have to destroy these idols. And in this, as you see it, it actually says that it was the, the, um, the angel of the Lord that came to Gideon. The angel of the Lord in the Bible is, many believe, is a theophany, a, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christ that showed up in the Old Testament, that Jesus was moving in the Old Testament. It's not that he just appeared in the New Testament. This is Trinitarian theology. So literally, a prophet comes and then Jesus comes to Gideon and speaks to him. And here's the thing. If you call on God, he will show up. And Jesus shows up and actually speaks with Gideon. Jesus gives him first a word of encouragement. The funny thing is uh, that was probably it frightened Gideon. He calls him a mighty warrior. This guy was hiding. Uh, you can imagine just... An angel shows up. Hey, mighty warrior. Ah, you know what is going on? Where's a mighty warrior? Is he behind me? Is he going to kill me? Last night I came in here. I saw Mike. He's working on his schoolwork. And I, I came into the building. I said, hey, Mike. He said, oh, <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> mighty warrior, Mike. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> but you can imagine he is afraid. He is a chicken. He is a coward. But God is going to use him because God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. What's he tell him to do? To cut down, he gives them first a word of encouragement and then a command. God always gives us a command to follow. This is what's going on in our culture. We've come to a place in our culture where we're more afraid of what the culture thinks than Jesus. Billy Graham said this. I want you to see this. Our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. Now, when God calls you, and he gives you a command, the first thing you're going to wonder is, what is my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? And here it is. Do what God commanded you to do. Don't be afraid of what they have to say. Here's something else that's going on in our culture as it's becoming, uh, as we tolerate evil. John Wesley said this, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. If you continue to tolerate sinful lifestyles, the next generation embraces them. That we need to speak against what is evil with grace and love and the truth of Jesus Christ. But if not, so we have to break these generational curses. Gideon has to make a decision at this point. Listen to the culture or listen to Christ. And thankfully, he listens to Christ. He was afraid, but he was obedient. So the next thing is here, church, as we intercept idolatry, is that we have to listen and then tear down the idols. The Apostle John tells us this. This is the final verse of his epistle, 1 John. He tells the people, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Out of all things he could have said, this is the apostle of love. He talks about love. He talks about light. He talks about life. He ends his epistle 
keep yourselves from idols. So I want to be honest with you, for decades, churches, in an attempt to fill the chairs, didn't teach people how to be a Christian. I really didn't know what it meant to be a Christian until my late 20s. And I was seriously being discipled. I submitted to a church and learned what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. A huge portion of our faith is saying no to sin as we chase the Savior. And here it is, the New Testament. Obviously, people say, I don't like that, bio, that book of rules. And I like to remind you guys, there are good rules in the Bible. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not steal. It is not your things. These are good rules but we're running from evil and we're chasing Jesus Christ as we are pursuing him and becoming a disciple of him. And here it is. As we intercept idolatry, this is what we have to do. A few things I have here. One, know that it is wrong. Idolatry is wrong. Whatever it may be that has taken your attention and you've devoted it to, a career, it could be a relationship, whoever it is, watch. Watch the patterns. When people invite you to do functions... Uh, when people invite you to do things, the conversation, the things, the deep desires in your heart and what you want that are in opposition to Jesus Christ, know that they are wrong. The second thing is to remove it from your life. You have to cut it away. You have to bring it in submission to Jesus Christ. As he told Gideon, tear down the idols. Three, flee from it. As these thoughts come up into your mind and these desires, the Bible actually tells us to cast down the things that rise against Christ in your heart, to take them captive when you have these thoughts that are ungodly. Because if, if not, then what is in your heart? And this is what John Calvin said. Your heart is an idol factory. You're creating idols in your desires, and then you start to, to move your life and orient your life to worship these idols. And before long, you become like what you worship, and it affects our culture. Our culture is very perverted because the number one idol in our culture is perversion and sex. Look what has happened. Sex trafficking, um, pedophilia. Pet, people, it's become a normative to say, I am child attracted. That people say that that is a real thing. I am minor attracted. That there is, is child pornography in our culture. That that is a real thing that people get arrested for and in trouble. These are real things going on in our culture. Flee from these things. And finally, serve Jesus Christ. In closing, I'm just going to ask Jay to come. Our time has gotten away. And the final thought here is that um, as you're serving Christ, you commit to build in his kingdom. Verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones um, laid in due order. Tear down the altar, the false idols, and build something for Jesus Christ. So the calling for us today, church, as you've recognized the circumstances in your life, as you listen to the voice of Christ, as you cut down idols, you cut them down, if you don't build up for Christ and return Christ to the throne of your heart, another idol will find its way in. So the greatest thing that you can do as a Christian is put your hand onto a way to serve Jesus. That I'm tearing down the things that distract me from you, and now I'm going to build on behalf of Christ. That I take part in his mission. 
that we run to his altar. These altars in the past that they built, they had no power in and of themselves. It was the God they worshipped at these idols, at these altars. Don't undo that. <laughs> Flip it. I said it backwards. I'm glad I called it right, Jacob. Jacob will let me know. You said it backwards. But here it is. As we close today, we're going to open the altar. Maybe you can come and pray. Maybe you can just, if you want to stay where you are. If there's idolatry going on in your life, come and just tear it down. Maybe you just need to come and pray and ask God to return to the throne of your heart. Regardless of what it is, let's come and pray. God, we thank you for hearing our cries. We thank you that you are the God who listens. We cry out to you, you send a messenger. You send prophets, you send evangelists, preachers, and teachers. When they come, we pray that we listen to them. When Christ speaks to us, we pray that we listen to Him. Lord, as John Calvin said years ago, our heart is an idol factory. I pray that we war against that, that our heart is made new in you that is cleansed of all unrighteousness, that we may live pure and holy lives in all godliness and honesty. And Lord, that people see you living in us. Lord, and I pray that as we reorient our lives to be full worshipers of you, as we tear down idols, I pray that our family members and friends see these things that we're not afraid anymore, that we come out of hiding, we come out of the caves, we come out of the dens where we're overly entertained, and we evangelize again. We speak on behalf of God, that we are people emboldened to say, thus says the Lord, and Lord, that we are obedient to those teachings. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to do it we're only strong and only courageous as we are obedient to you. Lord, we, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. As we confess these things to you, that you forgive us. And Lord, that we forgive others. We love you today and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. And church, as we close, you know, I, I look at the clock when I'm coming out to the pulpit and it was like, 10.45, just flat, five minutes ago or something like that. And uh, God gave me a message. I'm not even sure what I said today. But I do want to say this. Um, it is time that we be the Christians Jesus Christ has called us to be. Um, that we are courageous as a church. That we speak the truth of God with love and grace. But we don't back down. I love people where they are, but they have to come out of their sin. And to be honest, the Bible tells us that judgment starts at the house of God. That means we have to get the things right in our own life. And when you do, this is, this is real Christianity. When you say yes to Jesus Christ and you repent from those ways, your family members are going to notice. It stirs things up. I'm going to talk about Jesus. You, you, we do family things together. All right. Let's pray. Everybody's wanting to eat. We're going to pray. No, no, no. Hold up. Put the fork down. We're going to pray and honor God. Uh, we're going to talk about some social issues, actually. 
No, you can't do that. It causes division. No, 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 no. It brings unity and truth. We're going to talk about some things here. We need to tell people about Jesus. They're lost. You got family members that have left Jesus Christ or left the church. They need Jesus, and you need to bring it up, even if, it, if they get mad and run out the door. Hey, I still love you. You coming back for Thanksgiving? See you then. Bring them back. Still, I still love you, but this is truth. This is the truth that saves. The only one true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world. He loves you. He came into the world to save sinners, period. That's what we're in the business of doing. Amen. Church, if you would stand. As Moses was told to tell the people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That he lift his face to you and give you peace. Church, go in grace and peace. Have a fun week. Tell people about Jesus. You are dismissed.